Holy Father, God, we thank you that we are redeemed. We thank you it is because of Jesus Christ alone. You are our absolute hope. So God, I pray that you would wake us up to that even more. Help us to understand and love the power of the gospel in our lives even more, every single day. God, I thank you for Stephanie and for all the college kids that have grown up in this church and are gone back to school. God, I pray that you would protect them this year. You would guide them. God, I pray that you would work in their lives in a powerful way and that you would use them for your glory. Lord, I pray that you be with those who are just suffering and discouraged and frustrated and going through pain right now. God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you just come beside them and lift them up and encourage and comfort them. God, I pray that you would open up our minds right now to the book of Galatians, that we would see the gospel in its power and in its glory, and as a church, we would fall in love with it more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians. After 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. We're going to be in the book of Galatians for the next few months, um, probably till the end of November. Uh, we'll be studying the book of Galatians, just going through the book. Why the book of Galatians? Um, you ever been in the cheap seats? You ever go to a ball game and be in the cheap seats? That's usually where I go. So I've been in the Chicago, Soldier Field in the cheap seats. I've been up at uh, baseball games in the cheap seats. And the, the benefit of the cheap seats is that is you can see the whole field, right? You can see everything that's going on. You can see what happens on both sidelines. You can see all of the action from the cheap seats. And I've been at Cornerstone for a very, I'd say, seems like a, sometimes a long time, since 2000 I've been in this, at this church. And so I've had quite the view from the cheap seats. And one of the advantages of being a pastor is you get to kind of sit in the cheap seats and you see a lot of stuff going on in people's lives. And you see all kinds of things happening that maybe some people don't get to see. And it's a, it's a good view often, and it's a scary view, often. But one of the things about, I think, our church and being um, where I've been able to sit and viewing it from the cheap seats is that there's a couple of good things, I think, a number of good things that have happened. And I think in that, in that view, I think for our church, for some of you, there's been uh, a re releasing from legalism. That maybe you grew up in this form of legalism that was not the gospel, and I've seen through the years, there's been this releasing of legalism, and what was, needed to be dumped off. And it's kind of fun to watch it being dumped off of many of you. And I think for some of you, there's been repentance from license, where you just thought you could kind of do whatever you want to do, and it didn't really matter because you liked Jesus, you loved Jesus, you're in. And some of you, I think, have, in the church has seen that, you know what, that's not really what the Bible says. And so there's been repentance of just license and freedom to, to sin. And I think that there has been, in the last few years, a renewal of the freedom that there is in the gospel. That we can be absolutely free in the power of the gospel. It's been a pretty good view from the cheap seats watching Cornerstone Church. But I think the book of Galatians talks a lot about the gospel. And it's all about those things. It's about legalism. It's about license. about about the gospel. It's about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's about Paul going on an all-out blitz with people who are messing with the gospel. 
where he had started this church in Galatia, and he had uh, reached these people. And then they started to, to mess up the gospel, and they get trapped up in all kinds of things that were tangled them up. And in this letter, it's one of Paul's earliest letters, it is him going at an all-out blitz saying, no, don't do that. Hold on to the gospel. Understand what the gospel is and untangle yourself from anything that will keep you from really, truly understanding the gospel. The book of Galatians, the introduction, has been an extremely impactful book through church history. It was probably one of the Apostle Paul's first books that he wrote, but it was also the book that Martin Luther and John Calvin and all those guys during the Reformation that was just central to the big... Uh, issue of the Reformation. Martin Luther actually called the book of Galatians his wife. He loved it that much. He loved and lived and fed off of the book of Galatians, and it carried him through. Because the gospel is like a big balloon with helium. It is meant, and it wants to soar, and it wants to fly off, and it just wants to keep going and soaring higher and higher in churches and communities and in people's lives. That's what the gospel wants to do. And I think for some of us, as we go through this book, I want you to study it. I want you to read it for the next couple months. Anytime you're on the radio, I'm praying that every time you turn on some preacher, he's preaching out of the book of Galatians. When you're at the bookstore, you see a Christian bookstore, the book of Galatians falls off the shelf while you're walking past it, and you'll think to buy it and read it and study it and think about it and listen to it. Because I think the book of Galatians has a lot to say for our church because I think there is still, there's this balloon of the gospel that many of us love. And we have maybe tangled ourselves up in things in the past. And maybe you've tangled yourself up some things in the past. But you have been kind of out there and God's been kind of cutting the ropes and letting it kind of float. But there may be still some ropes that are holding down the gospel in your life and in your family and in our church that we need to just slash off. So the gospel can just totally and freely fly and let the gospel do its work. And so I think that's what the book of Galatians, hopefully, as we study it the next few months, will allow us to do. So read it, study it, think about it, listen to it, consume it. It's a powerful book. You know, asking the right questions is good. As, as school starts, students are going to go back to school. You guys are going to start asking questions. And asking questions are good. Teachers are going to ask questions. Students are asking questions. We ask questions all day in our lives, don't we? We're always asking questions. And there are questions that need to be asked. Asking the right question is good. Accepting the wrong answer is very, very bad. If you can, you can, it's good to ask the right question, but if you accept the wrong answer to your question, at worst, at, at the least, there's pain. At the worst, it's death if you accept the wrong answer to a question. And that's really what was going on in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written to Christians. Paul says they are believers. It's written to a churches. He's writing to Christians about the book of Galatians. And they were asking some good questions. How can we be free in the gospel? How can we really know we're right with God? How can we really be sure we're living the way we're supposed to be living? How can we know these things? But the problem was they started to accept wrong answers to their questions. And Paul says if you keep accepting those wrong answers to your questions, it's going to cause death. 
But that's not the gospel. And so Paul instantly begins in the book of Galatians, saying you've got to accept the authority of the gospel. And Paul is instantly, instantly in this book into the authority because these agitators, these people who had come into the church and started to say things that weren't correct as they started to infiltrate in there, it was causing all kinds of problems. And Paul was greatly concerned. He even says at the end of this letter, he says, I wrote it with my own hand. That's why the letters are so big. Because he was, Paul had some, probably some bad eyesight, but he just was so desperate for this church to get it that he wrote it with his own hand as he wrote the book of Galatians. Asking the right questions is good. Accepting the wrong answers is tragic. And Paul says this right at the beginning. We've got to accept the authority of the a gospel because Paul was under attack personally and the gospel was under attack in Galatians. So Galatians 1, 1 through 5 says this. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. From the first word, Paul starts defending the gospel. He says, Paul. You know what the Greek word for Paul means? Small. And Brandon Dillon back, back there saying, well, duh, you know, that is what, exactly what we know the Greek word means. But that is what the Greek word means. It means small. Paul was not always Paul, was he? The Paul, what used to be what? What was his name? Saul. And Paul, when he was Saul, wasn't a little man. Saul was a big man. So much so that he was well-educated, he was very much um, knew what he was talking about in legalism and the, being a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. When it came to being a Pharisee in his position, he was a very big man. He was such a big man that he thought that he could personally destroy Christianity. He hated it. He thought it was against God. So he was, he was out there actively trying to kill and persecute Christians. He was a big man. When the name Saul came out to believers, Christians started to get scared. They would go and hide. They would be fearful. Saul's coming into town. But right at the beginning of Galatians, he says Paul, which means small. His name was changed by God from being this big man, big guy, big influencer but when he met Jesus, he became extremely small. And he says, right at the beginning, this thing that you're doing, church, accepting things that isn't the gospel, if you follow that and you accept that wrong answer, it's going to cause death because the gospel has unbelievable transforming power. It will transform people's lives like it transformed mine. So he says, Paul, who used to be small, used to be big, huge influence, thought he could do it all, was cut down to really small when he realized who Jesus was and the power of the gospel. Paul, an apostle, he is sent from God. That's what an apostle is. The apo an apostle means sent one. That's what it means. So Paul saying, I am sent by someone. 
But who, this is where his authority came from. He goes, Paul sent not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. It wasn't, Paul was being attacked saying, you know, this guy, Paul, he, he's talking about this Jesus, you know. He just is doing this on his own authority. Paul says, no. Don't you know who I was? I was Saul, the persecutor of Christians. Then one day, on my way to persecute Christians, Jesus, not, he says nothing about the cross here. He says, Jesus, who raised him from the dead. Paul's talking about the resurrection. Because it was the true Jesus who rose from the dead that while he was on the road to Damascus that Paul saw. He's walking down the road, or Saul saw him, and out of, the, out of heaven, Jesus directly speaks to Saul. And he goes, why are you persecuting? Why are you kicking against the pricks? You know who I am, and you know I'm right. And Paul was humbled by that, and he re received Jesus. And God sent him out on this mission. Paul was not out there spreading the gospel on his own. It was because he truly was a sent one, a genuine apostle of Jesus. The apostles were people who had been actually, literally, physically around Jesus. So we don't have apostles today. Some churches call their pastors apostles. We don't have biblical apostles today because they, an apostle was somebody who actually hung out, saw the real Jesus, and then was sent out by Jesus. And that's who Paul was. He saw the real Jesus, and he was sent out, and he goes, what I'm saying to you comes from the authority of the resurrected Jesus who I saw. This big guy who was against him was so transformed by him that I, I can't help myself. I just have to go. And I was sent to go and tell people the gospel. That's his authority. And it came from all the brothers who were with me. So all the people who were hanging around Paul, they believed, yes, Paul saw Jesus. He's the real deal. And his authority came from Jesus himself. And so we got to listen and accept the authority of the gospel. We don't have apostles today. So where is our authority supposed to come from? Where are we supposed to get our authority? Paul, they were apostles, and Paul was an apostle because they spoke what Jesus spoke. They spoke his word. And the word of God is in the Bible. So your authority and my authority comes from God's word. And we've got to accept the authority of God's word. And there's all kinds of people out there trying to say, do this, do that, do this. Here's this experience. Don't do that. The word of God is our authority for the gospel. The word of God is our authority for what God wants you to know and for what God wants me to know. So accept his authority. If you have some experience, some experience, and that experience is real, but if it doesn't match up with scripture, then you need to reject your real experience and hold to the authority of Scripture. Because it's the Bible, it's God's Word that has authority. That's where we get our authority today. Not your experience, not your aunt's little ditty that she wants you to do, not what you think in your head, how you think it may work out. It's got to be centered on the Bible. And if I ever say anything that is contrary to Scripture, then you need to come and say to me, and say, this is what the Bible says. And we need to go by the Bible. The Bible has to be the basis of our authority for the gospel. Because that was Paul's basis. He was given his authority by Jesus. He says, Paul, he is just a small man now. Compared to the gospel, I'm just little, Paul says. But it, it so transformed my life that I, 
I have the authority to share this. I have to share this. This is what Jesus himself from heaven literally spoke to me to do. So Paul is actively going against these agitators who said that he didn't have authority. And then Paul says in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Grace and peace is the gospel. This was a traditional, somewhat traditional opening for a letter, but Paul changed it from greetings and peace to grace and peace. And right at the beginning, he says, I was transformed by the gospel, and even in my greeting, I just got to talk to you about the gospel. And the gospel is this. Listen, grace and peace. That's the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means this, grace and peace. Two things we all want comes from God the Father. It originated with God the Father, not from you. In Genesis, God came to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, and he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, Abraham. You're going to have a child. And you, from you, there will be a great nation. And by faith, Abraham had to believe this. And it seems like when you read Genesis chapter 12, the story of the Bible, that the story is about Abraham. Okay, here God comes and says, Abraham, you're going to be this great nation. But then the story kind of stops, and for 25 years, nothing takes place. It seems like, I thought Abraham was supposed to be the main story of this, and it's not. Because 25 years later, when Abraham is old and almost dead, and there's no hope for grace and peace, no hope for this promise to come through in his natural ability, God says, Abraham, the story was never about you. It was always about what I'm going to do through you. And through your dead body, physically, I will take and make a son. Who through that son, a nation's going to come. And through that nation, my son himself is going to come. My Messiah for the world, Jesus. So this story of the gospel has always been God's story. We have to know the story, it's kind of unravels. We think that the stories of the gospel is just about becoming a Christian. It is not just about becoming a believer. It's not just about Christianity, and we'll talk a lot about that. It is about not just how you enter the kingdom of God, the gospel. It is about how you live the kingdom of God. Martin Luther used the book of Galatians to say that and to prove that it is we are saved by faith, not by any works. It's powerful in there. It's all over Galatians, that we are saved by faith. It is nothing that we do, nothing. And we're going to talk a lot about that. It is nothing that you bring to the table. You bring nothing to the table. And Martin, used, Martin Luther used Galatians to do that, but also Galatians talks about not only do we bring nothing to the table to come into the Christianity, to come into the gospel, it is also the gospel that gets us through our Christian life. And it's all about living as a people of God in understanding the gospel. And that's what we need. Many of you are in the faith, but we need to understand how does the gospel affect us as a people of God in Sandwich, in Salmonac, in Hinckley, and in our area so that we live together in grace and peace, which is what the gospel is all about. And Paul untangles God's story. What's the purpose of this gospel? It is a God thing. 
is God the Father started it. Jesus the Son redeemed us. And all through Galatians, the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us through it. It's all over. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We serve a Trinitarian God. The three in one. And all three of them are key and central to us living out the gospel as the people of God in our area. So we've got to accept the authority of the gospel. We've got to know the gospel, this one story of God being lived out and authored by the three persons of the Trinity and what God is doing in your life and our life. But what's the purpose of this? Why is it such a big deal? Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. If you didn't understand anything else I've said, you understood that part. Because you read that part, deliver us from the present evil age, the first thing, yes, that is right. We live in a present evil age. Things seem wicked, don't they? Things seem absolutely broken and messed up. Things seem out of whack because they are. Because of sin, that we rebelled against God. That's why your life seems out of whack. doesn't mean that you've sinned to cause your life always out of whack. But because we live in a fallen, messed up world, our lives often are out of whack. And we suffer the consequences of the fallen world. And there are three responses that people can give to that. The first one is, you know what? This is just the way it is. It's the present evil age. There's nothing that can be done. I, we heard this all over in New York. Do you think anything can change? Nope, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. That's one response that you can have. Another response is, I hope that something can change. I hope that this world is, that somebody will come along and change things. That's another response a lot of people have. Maybe that's your response. I hope my situation will change. Then there's a gospel response, which is something has been done about it. Something's already happened. That's the gospel. Grace and peace is that in this present evil age, God came, started this whole story. Because he moved into your life. He moved into your situation. He said, you know what? Something has been done for this present evil age that you're living in. There is something that's been done. And it's not in a program. It's in a person. It is in the person of Jesus. Not by just deeds that you do. It is by Jesus it's through Jesus. The gospel is a person. And it's the person of Jesus Christ. And that person came to deliver you from this present evil age. That's our hope. I hear it constantly, all the time now. We're, we're, we're at a wall. There's just no hope. People, people need hope, Paul. People don't have hope. People are losing hope. If you watched anything with the news all this week, the whole thing on the news was, it's a new low. There's a new low in the economy. There's a new low in house sales. There's a new low in job sales. There's a new low. There's all, all week long, there's a new low this week. New low, new low. People need hope, Paul. People need hope. There's no hope. This is the lowest hope there is. And all the time, all the time, Christians, we're starting to buy into that. We're asking the question of, is there hope? But we're accepting the wrong answer, and we're starting to be sucked into this world system that says, no, there's no hope. When Jesus said, God came to deliver you, and he has delivered you from this present evil age. 
so that we can live differently in this world. The problem is so many of us are accepting the wrong answer to good questions when the right answer is the gospel, and we're accepting this wrong answer, and we're accepting it so much so that it just, God says, there's hope. I delivered you already. I've delivered you. That's why Jesus came. That's why I stepped into your world. You didn't step into mine. You weren't looking for me. I came to you. I rescued you. I redeemed you by what my son did on the cross. G.K. Chesterton, when it was asked this, he said, well, you know what? The world's messed up, but it's not about me. It's everybody else is just crazy. He was asked about 1920 to write an article for Time magazine in London. And he said this. They, the question was, can you write an essay on what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton said, Dear sirs, regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Because the thing is, as you look at this world, if you don't see yourself as part of the problem, as the problem, you're never going to see the hope of the gospel. We are the problem. Sin is the problem. We've rebelled against God. And God says, I've came to you to deliver you from the present evil age according to the will of God. Not even up to you. It's because I wanted to. Because God loves you. Because Jesus himself wanted to die on the cross. No one put him there. Jesus died on the cross for your sins for your salvation, for your hope. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the gospel that will free people. And this is what Paul did with that. As he was trying to convince this church that he had kind of gotten off track and accepted all these wrong answers, he starts instantly going in with the gospel. And as he does this, and then he starts telling about how here's the gospel. The gospel is you've been delivered from this present evil age. But you say, Paul, I don't feel like I'm delivered from this present evil age. Because I got to go to work tomorrow, and people aren't always nice to me. I got marriage problems, and it's, not, it's difficult. That's right, because it's like this. It is true. But you know when America, we, we elect a president, and that president gets elected kind of in November, and in November, we know that that's going to be the next president. And if you are the, a fan of that next coming up president in November, before the January inauguration, you are excited, Right? You believe things are going to change. It's going to happen. There's going to be change. And so you live in hope. You live in grace. And you live in peace. Because you know that in just a little while, it's going to be the way I always hoped, right? Except this is human, humans and politicians. And it doesn't work that way. And so we wait four more years and we vote again. And we, we oh, it's going to be good. And for two months, we hope and wait. And then it falls apart. That's not the way it is with the gospel. God says that he came to deliver us from this present evil age. And he did it by sending Jesus Christ on the cross for sin. And when he died, and when he rose again, that was it. It's begun. The new age has begun. We are in this process. We are just waiting for the actual inauguration of it for eternity. But in the meantime, we as gospel-believing people have this hope that we can, this is going to get better. And so I can persevere by faith because it's been done. It's been conquered. It's not what I did. It's what Jesus did. So we can look forward through hope. That's how we live life. By faith in Jesus Christ alone. Looking for the day. So when you are talking to people at work and they're telling you there's no hope, don't buy into it. Quit accepting the wrong answer and say, actually, I have hope. 
I have hope. You're unemployed. You've been unemployed for two months. I still have hope. Your job stinks. You haven't got a raise for years. I have hope. That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. That's letting the gospel have its helium. That will transform people's lives and a community. And when Paul hears this and he thinks about this and he's dwelling on this and the hope of the gospel, he instantly bursts into praise. And he says, to whom, verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He can't even continue. He's about to rip these people a new one. But he can't even continue because he's so overwhelmed with the gospel that he has to just say, here's the gospel. This is what it's done for me. And now just unbelievable. To God be the glory. That's the power of the gospel. When we were in New York, I was with one day with uh, the little band's granddaughter, Hallie, and we're walking around this park, and she walked up to this guy in his 60s, and he was a lawyer from New Zealand, Christ Church, New Zealand, which is a town, not a church, uh, Christ Church, New Zealand. As he's, they just had that earthquake, and Hallie starts talking to him. She's 13. She just starts talking to him about the gospel and asking him if he's been born again. Does he know Jesus Christ? Does he have any hope? And he's a great guy. Nice long conversation with him. And as he's talking, we're here, he, he's, he doesn't, but he's a nice guy. As he's talking to this 13-year-old girl, he tells us, you know, he goes back, I'm just here for the weekend in New York with my wife. And back at my office in New Zealand, I got a, there's a secretary of mine who he was clearly very fond of, who's a born-again Christian. And she's constantly telling me about Jesus and and, uh, coming in all excited about Jesus. And I guarantee you that that, when he left New York and went back to New Zealand and walked into the office that next week, he walked up to that secretary and he said, guess what? While I was at this park, this little 13-year-old girl and a short guy came up and started talking to me about Jesus. And they started talking to me about this hope that I have. And glory to God, I can just imagine this secretary who for years has been praying for her boss, praying for her boss, telling him about Jesus. He leaves and goes to America, New York City, sits on a park, and a 13-year-old girl from Illinois walks up to him and tells him about Jesus. Why? Because God comes to us in the power of the gospel. He loves us, and he just comes to us, and he will find you if you will respond to him and say, I have hope in Jesus. That's the power and the freedom of the gospel, and it should only make us praise God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and Cornerstone. If we can cut off all the other stuff, cut off all the ties, and let the helium balloon of the gospel float, God's going to do an amazing work. God will do it. It was his story. He started it. He's continuing it. He will do it. But we've got to cut off the things that are holding back the gospel, not accept the wrong answers, and by faith believe that Jesus is the answer that the world needs. And we can say praise and glory to God. So every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know where you're at with your hope or where you are with your relationship with Jesus, but God says there is hope for your life. There is hope for you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never made a decision to personally ask him to forgive you your sins, come into your life. There are people down here at the prayer team who would love to take the Bible and show you how to do that. Maybe you're just struggling with hope. Let me encourage you just to praise God for what he's done. Let the praise of God give you the joy of God. Lift him up. He loves you. He died for you. And he comes to you to the praise of God's glory.
there's any other requests that we can pray for you about, just come. Let's stand, just glorifying God as we sing. Praise the Father.